Hi everyone, my name is Vlad. I am your host today for our third episode of our EBT podcast. And uh, alongside me today is the one and only Richie Kirwan, the one that you already know from our last episode. I'm very happy to have you, Richie, and I'm uh, stoked about our uh, topic today. Uh, how are you feeling? I'm good, lad. Uh, thanks very much for having me on. I didn't expect to be uh, coming back onto the podcast uh, so quickly, but uh, really, really excited to be talking about what we're, we're going to speak about today. So uh, a lot of you maybe already know what we are going to talk about as uh, it writes in our post, but today we are going to talk about the very low caloric diet that the UK government is planning on uh, uh, installing in order for them to reduce the diabetes uh, Uh, percentage of uh, the percentage of people who have diabetes and in order for them to normalize their their uh, blood parameters and uh, live a healthier life uh, as Richie is uh, living in Liverpool uh, I would like to ask him actually I would like to ask you Richie uh, what's uh, what's the thought in our fitness community about these very low caloric diets uh, do they embrace it are they people uh, against it how's how's the weather there Yeah, uh, so it's a, it's an interesting one. Um, I think it's really, really important to mention that most of what the current government in the UK does is not particularly popular. Um, so whenever they do something, there is always going to be scrutinized quite intensively, especially by the people who are uh, uh, not particularly in favor of the conservative government. But uh, what happened recently was in the UK, there was uh, an anti-obesity plan basically designed to help um, reduce the, the rates of obesity in the UK. That was released um, quite recently. There was a lot of um, contention about that and about how well it was going to work. But then afterwards, um, only a few weeks ago, there was the release of information that the government was going to back a plan to start using what are called uh, very low-calorie diets, Um, for treating diabetes. Um, so those are called VLCDs, very low calorie diets. And the way they're going to use them is by using um, a basically a commercial diet plan uh, that's based around uh, shakes and soups that replaces normal food in somebody's diet. And when people heard this, there was initially there was a lot of uproar in the UK, well, in the fitness community, I'm going to say, And a lot of people were automatically against the idea of the government backing these shake-based plans. And you know yourself, lad, there's obviously within the fitness community, there are a lot of kind of supplement schemes and there's a lot of multi-level marketing companies that try, thrive on selling, um, you know, diet shakes and diet diet plans and kind of uh, all of these these plans that make it apparently easy, inverted commas, to, to lose weight. and Obviously, you know, the fitness community is not in favor of a lot of those those plans and those companies. But um, I think a lot of the uproar about this this plan by the government was it was it was ill advised because it was coming from people who didn't quite understand what the government was going to be doing and what the government's plans were based on. Um, and I, I did a post on my own Instagram uh, a few weeks back just to kind of mention why what the government is doing is, is actually a very, very evidence-based um, approach to, to dealing with uh, people with diabetes and, and helping them to potentially um, reduce the, the risk of diabetes. And, and hopefully we'll, we'll get into it um, uh, in a lot more detail now. But I think some of the main reasons people had issues with uh, these, these diets 
was that, um, you know, for one thing, when people hear shake diets, they think of those disreputable companies that we see on social media all the time. Um, you know, if we think of a, sh- a shake diet, we, people think, oh, it's not going to be sustainable long term. They think, oh, it's, it's very, very restrictive. So people, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to stick to it for long. And, and those are all really, really valid points. You know, nobody is going to live on a shake diet for the rest of their life. Um, but uh, uh, hopefully we, we, we'll, we'll talk about uh, why this shake diet in particular might be useful for people with, uh, with diabetes. Yeah, of course. I, I really think, uh, I, I mean, personally, when I first read the title, uh, of course, my brain as an evidence-based uh, fitness practitioner uh, was already thinking about the shitty brands that I won't mention that are selling shakes and soups and everybody knows them. We, we don't need to mention them. But uh, again, I was thinking about that. And at first I was like, oh, no, the UK government fall into the trap, fell into the trap. And I was like, but first let's read and, and let's see how, how it goes, because maybe it's different and, and maybe I just judged it, judge it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I think a lot of people fell into the, the same kind of trap as yourself as immediately associating low calorie diets and diet shakes with, you know, plans that are. Uh, not particularly, you know, trustworthy. Um, and, and it's it's a normal thing. I think people were very reactionary. And I think on social media, in general, people are reactionary because it's it's easy to be reactionary and it's not easy to start thinking deeply about a subject. So um, it, it happens. We all we all react to things. Um, I just, you know, I think it's better to to maybe hold off and wait before we comment, you know, and, and leave, leave the information digest first. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. But, uh, you know, it's about the environment you're used to. And there are a lot more factors that decide if you truly uh, give it a chance or you just ignore it. But that's why we, we have you today on our podcast to, to settle this talk and uh, to bring some evidence on this subject. As uh, we've talked about before, uh, you, you have a study that you want to present. And I've also downloaded it and I have it in front of me. Maybe we, we can bring some light on the subject with uh, the help of, uh, of this study. The study is called the direct study, and it comes from uh, the long term of primary care-led weight management for remission of type 2 diabetes, an open-label cluster randomized trial. Uh, as the title says, they, uh, they uh, uh, wanted to uh, have the diabetes in a remission state, so... They didn't only uh, settle for uh, minimizing the risks, but they also wanted the patients to live free of medication. Uh, am I correct? Yeah, that that's exactly right. Um, and so wh- what's interesting about, about um, uh, the direct study is that it was the first study that had as its main outcome diabetes remission. Um, so other studies have achieved it, have achieved diabetes remission, like the, the look ahead study from a few years back, um, that achieved, uh, diabetes remission with weight loss, um, and low, lower calorie diets as well. But this go, this whole, um, project, the, the direct study was based around the idea that we're going to do this in a primary care setting. Okay. And the reason that it's important that we say a primary care setting, so primary care is like, obviously, you know, going to your doctor, that's your, 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 your primary care physician, um, it's not some sort of a specialist treatment center. And the reason that's important is because if we think about it, you know, putting people onto diets and giving them lots and lots of attention and lots and lots of follow-up can be very, very expensive. So the whole point of Look Ahead was it was designed to do it in a way that would be cost-effective 
and easy to implement. And it could be implemented from just a primary care clinic. Um, and that's why it was really, really interesting. And the whole goal was just to make sure that we put people into diabetes remission. And previously, that was something that people, we, you know, we weren't sure it was even possible. You know, like we, we had a few examples of it from literature, but, you know, no study had ever set out to say, okay, we're going to put people into remission. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's why it, it, it was a particularly interesting study. Um, on top of that, it was also interesting because it was done in in the UK, in the, well, in the north of England and Scotland, and in an area that's kind of traditionally, it wouldn't be a particularly uh, uh, well-developed part of the UK. So as some people would call it socially, economically deprived areas of the UK. And that's important as well, because it wanted to show that this could be done in that type of population in the UK. So it didn't have to be rich people who had access to all of the best healthcare. It could be, you know, anybody who has access just to the standard um, public healthcare here in the UK. And that's that's what was really important about it too. It sounds very interesting. Uh, and this, I also think it's a very cost-effective measure, especially as you mentioned, it targets people that maybe are living in some uh, marginalized areas. Uh, before we move on to analyzing the study, I think we should define a little bit the diabetes and uh, say that it's a chronic disease. And actually, it's believed to be a chronic disease. It's, uh, it has two types, type 1 and type 2. Uh, this study actually analyzed only type 2 diabetes, the one that is influenced by environmental factors and uh, uh, mostly of diet and lack of exercise and other genetic factors. And... Uh, I really think this is the one that became more prevalent because of our um, evolution part. Uh, do, do you know what I mean? Like we, evol- we think we evolve as humans, but actually we just make poor dietary choices and less exercise. And this alongside on a, on a uh, I don't know, a predisposed body or some genetic factors can lead much more easier than, let's say, 100 years ago to this condition. What do you think, Richie? Yeah. No, no, that, that, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, because er- everybody will probably have heard of type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And it is really, really important to say that the, the look-ahead study, uh, sorry, not the look-ahead, <laughs> the, the direct study was looking only at type 2 diabetes. Because type 1 uh, diabetes, it's an autoimmune condition um, and it affects our beta cells. So the cells in our pancreas that produce insulin and it basically stops them from producing insulin. And it you know, the, while the reasoning behind why somebody gets type 1 is, is, isn't completely um, understood, we have a relatively good understanding of why somebody develops type 2 diabetes. And that is, like you said, a disease that's becoming very prominent now. So I think it's between, I think it's something like 1 in 10 people in the UK are suff- in the UK and the United States are suffering from um, diabetes. And it has become more popular, or well, more, more popular, it has become more prevalent um, a, over the past, let's say, 50 years, uh, kind of side by side with the obesity epidemic. And one of the interesting things about it is it's, it's relatively well understood at this point that the reason that people developed type 2 diabetes is because of uh, excess accumulation of body fat. Um, and it's, it's not necessarily that everybody is becoming obese, but people in general are gaining more weight, retaining more body, body fat. And that is is having an effect on on people's uh, insulin sensitivity and um, uh, later down the line it can it can have an effect 
on their their beta cells in their pancreas as well um and and that's you know how we get to uh, diabetes. The issue with with diabetes as well is it's it's not exactly a clear cut defi- definition of what is diabetes, but um, one of the kind of the the more commonly used uh, markers of what what is diabetes is, is HbA1c, which is a measure of um, our long term uh, circulating glucose, and it's it's the 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 glucose. Uh, it's basically a molecule that's on our red blood cells, uh, and it tells us um, how high our uh, glucose levels have been over the past three months depending on how it's taken over the past two two or three months yeah yeah, yeah. um so that's uh, uh the the kind of the cutoff point for for diabetes is um i believe 48 micromoles per mole um actually uh, and, i've uh, seen you get i've seen more, more people like to to use the sorry for interruption the percentage for uh, hb a1c i mean uh, if uh, you have uh, diabetes then you should aim to keep your uh, HB1C uh, less than seven, less than six point five, it depends of the uh, it depends on the medical community. Exactly, yeah. Um, and so people use percentages, and you can use millimoles as well. Um, so uh, I think a six point five percent is is one of the cutoffs here in the UK. But but this is again an, another issue with like how do you define diabetes exactly? Is like you know, is if somebody gets below. Uh, you know, somebody's on the cusp of having diabetes. Do they have diabetes? Is it pre-diabetes? Is it just, you know, it, it's difficult to, to, to measure entirely. But, you know, this is what was used in, in the, the direct study. It was like using that 45, 48 millimoles or 6.5% um, of the HbA1c. Um, and um, so I suppose, do you want to get into some of the details of the study and talk about how they, they organized it? Yeah, of course. I was waiting for this question. Uh, do you want to go from uh, from the end to the beginning, or to the uh, from the beginning to the end? Like, uh, do you want to talk uh, about outcomes first, and then let's say what happened, or do you want to go from participants? They did that, 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 and this was the results. Sure, let's 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 talk about the outcomes. And I suppose the the reason we should talk about the outcomes first is because the reason the the UK government decided to go with these shake diets is because. A shake diet was used in the direct study, and basically, at the at the end of the direct study, what we had was um, close to fifty percent of people in the intervention group. Um, uh, they basically achieved remission from diabetes. So that's a huge amount of people. Um, now that came along with with weight loss, um, but they they achieved remission of diabetes. Um, I think it was in 46% of the participants in total, and they were able to maintain that. And I think after two years, so 24 months from the start of the study, I think um, 35% of those people who uh, of the entire study population, the intervention population, were still maintaining their diabetes remission. And that's incredibly impressive because, like, you know, you know yourself, uh, Vlad, losing weight you know, it's, it's, a, it's relatively, it can be relatively simple. Often what's really, really hard for a lot of people to do and what we see in a lot of trials is maintenance of weight loss is very, very difficult yeah. for, for many people. Um, and like, that's not to say that like, you know, weight loss is simple itself, but for a short period of time, people can achieve weight loss. And, you know, that was the idea with this trial because the majority of, of the weight loss happened earlier on. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But basically the trial was successful. We had 
people who lost a lot of weight were able to maintain it and they were actually able to regain um, proper glycemic control. So that means that they no longer needed to take their anti-diabetic medication. And that was actually one of the, the, the parts of the trial is when, when everybody started this, they were all taken off their anti-diabetic and their, their anti-hypertensive medication yeah. um, as part of the trial. This is um, very important and, to and this say. Is, oh, absolutely, yeah. Because and, and this is one thing that's really, really important because if you think about it, here in the UK, um, you know, we've got the National Health Service, which is, you know, it, it is fantastic, despite, you know, that people will obviously complain about like some aspects of it, but it's a fantastic service to have. But that service pays for people's um, diabetes medication. And, you know, that can add up to a lot of money over time and a lot of money on the state. And if you can get people off that diabetes medication, if you can get them healthier, so they no longer need to be medicated daily, um, you're reducing their costs. And they, they did um, some follow-up of investigations to uh, the direct study, and they showed that it is cost-effective. Like if people can maintain their uh, remission, um, basically the, the, the intervention pays for itself after, I think it's after six years or something like that. Um, and it gives people back better quality of life. So people are no longer, they don't no longer need to take medication to live. They feel better um, because they, they measured quality of life in the studies as well. And that's a really, really important one. You know, people where they, they felt like they were regaining their health and regaining their life. And you can't really put a price on that at all. Yeah, it's very important. It's a very important factor, factor the, the psychological one, because when you take a lot of pills, you, you, you feel ill, you feel sick. When you, when you yeah. get into the phase when you can say, I'm, I stopped taking the pills and also feel good and have some proof, because, you know, I'm an evidence-based uh, man and I like proof. Uh, to, to see the proof that your your HB1C lowered and you you aren't dependent on the drugs anymore, I think it's it's very important. Uh, as you said, the, the the phases you actually described the phases of the study. As I'm a man of numbers, I'd like to say that uh, the total diet replacement phase, where they changed their diet, lasted from 12 to 20 weeks, and they also had a food reintroduction phase of two to eight weeks. And of course, the, the most important part, which you mentioned, and you really did a good job uh, mentioning it, it was the weight loss sentence phase, which lasted up to 52 weeks. Uh, the, the most important factor is this maintenance part, because in my opinion, and you can uh, uh, counter argue, and you can argue with me if I'm, I'm wrong, is that uh, the weight loss process can be done by everyone and maybe their uh, blood parameters will be fine. But if they start taking their old habits again and not taking care about their diet in a continuously manner with uh, uh, a little bit of uh, attention uh, according, according to, to food and to exercise, they will kind of get the disease back. What, what do you think? Yeah, was no that, that that's a really really good point. I suppose we should we should go into a little bit of detail about it just to give people an idea of what the the kind of the intervention actually looked like. So All like right. I said they they had this initial the the dietary replacement phase um which was um it was basically 3 to to 5 months. Um and it was th the reason I say 3 to 5 months is because what's really cool about the direct study is that they were very very flexible with how they dealt with people. Okay? They um they, it wasn't a, f a very, very set plan. You know, it, it, it basically allowed for a lot of 
in, in individuals to get extra help if they needed it. So with the plan, basically, for the first three to five months, people were on a complete dietary replacement program. And what that means is that instead of having food, they were taking um, some either shakes or soups. And it was from a, a, a commercial program called the Counterweight Program, um, which, which does these very, very low car, uh, calorie uh, diet plans. And in total, uh, they had about 850 calories a day. And that is a very, very small amount of calories to have every day for a few months. Um, on top of that, people were allowed to have some non-starchy vegetables as well. And I think it was, it was good that that was included just to add a little bit of um, fiber into the diet uh, and add a little bit more volume. Um, but I think the first thing that people hear when they think, when they hear, oh my God, you know, an 850 calorie shake diet, that's, that's unsustainable. And that is absolutely 100% correct that is completely unsustainable um but the point of it is is it doesn't need to be sustainable the whole point of the initial phase uh, the diet replacement phase was to cause quick weight loss and actually the majority of the weight loss in the study occurred in the first three to five months when people were doing that diet replace um, the dietary replacement phase um, and the whole idea was to get a rapid drop in calories and a relatively rapid weight loss. And that's where a lot of the metabolic benefits um, that were involved in, in the kind of the, the remission of diabetes happened. As so a side, lost uh, that weight really, really I have yeah? a side question because you just mentioned the, the rapid weight loss and uh, it's actually a mm -hmm. parenthesis. Uh, do you think that this remission from, from the study showed here could be achieved also by bariatric surgery? Oh yeah, absolutely. Actually, a, a lot of the, the reasoning uh, behind this study and behind kind of the studies that led up to direct were because there was an observation in bariatric surgery that people who um, underwent bariatric surgery experienced diabetes remission. And that's because, you know, when, when somebody undergoes bariatric surgery, their calorie intake drops substantially afterwards. And there's a, a massive, very, very rapid weight loss um, and, uh, and in some, some individuals, diabetes remission. So people wanted to say, well, what's going on here? Why, why are people, you know, going into remission? Um, because, you know, they, they've had, um, bariatric surgery and that led to more research that kind of led, okay, it seems to be the rapid, the, the rapid and substantial drop in calories, the, the substantial weight loss that's leading to this. So let's see if we can do this without surgery. And, and that's why we had the, the direct study. Uh, New England Journal of Medicine just published a very interesting article on this topic. It compared uh, bariatric surgery, uh, in, in this particular case, bypass gastric, gastric bypass, with uh, uh, dietary intervention. And uh, the conclusion, so I don't bore you, was that both of them uh, improved metabolic parameters because of weight loss. And this is why I, I addressed you this question also, because I think it's very important. Only this study didn't uh, uh, analyze a uh, very rapid weight loss. It was just a regular, healthy, let's say, weight loss uh, um, program. But yeah, I, I still think okay. uh, weight loss is the one who's important for, for the metabolic parameters. Uh, sorry for interrupting you, but it was uh, really uh, related to the rapid weight loss you just mentioned. No, that's, that, I'm going to have to check out that study myself, but that, that is a really good point. And it, it is due to the weight loss. And oh, 
I'm going to mention this now because um, just because it, it is worth mentioning. Obviously, at the moment, um, the fitness community uh, and you know the the scientific community in general is very very much aware of the issue surrounding so a concept called weight stigma, um, where people who um, you know are are in larger bodies um, and may have you know certain levels of body fat are they're basically they're treated very very poorly on social media and they're you know it's made out that you know their their body is is their fault like there's something wrong with it um and i think you know that that is very very valid because you know nobody should be made to feel you know bad because of the way they look um but unfortunately there are individuals that treat people like that but also there has been kind of and, and this happens very very much in in let's say the, the fitness nutrition sphere whereby you know you have one side and then suddenly you'll have another polar opposite that will arise to kind of counter it and we've got two extremes that are not exactly um productive and what has happened is that we've got this um this anti-diet side or within the the kind of nutrition sphere that says any form of weight loss should never be encouraged and that you know you don't need weight loss to be healthy and i think it's really really important to point out here that in the these individuals these individuals their diabetes was caused by an excessive amount of body fat okay and that's you know regardless of bmi we're not talking about bmi in this uh, this uh, situation and I think that's a conversation for another day yeah but yeah <laughs> in a lot of these individuals yeah yeah exactly it was caused by you know excess body fat and what caused their remission was a sudden drop in that level of body fat and you know there was plenty of studies done after direct that kind of looked at subsamples and they showed that um, in remission what happened in everybody who had remission was that there was a drop in obviously body fat there was a drop in in liver fat so intrahepatic fat um, and the drop in pancreatic fat, so intrapancreatic fat as well, um, and that there that is believed to be the kind of the reasons why we got remission uh, in these people. Not not everybody uh, got remission, but um, uh, there's more reasons for that too. But I, I think it's just important to point out that you know it was because of this very very rapid weight loss and reduction in those that that um, ectopic fat within the organs that that led to remission so you know we have to we have to be open to all sides of both arguments i i'm i'm very very much anti-weight stigma i think it's it's absolutely despicable and it doesn't um deserve to exist but i'm also very very um open to the idea that weight loss can can be beneficial for some individuals um so yeah i just wanted to, to mention that but um if we get back to the to the study so people um underwent their their uh weight loss phase the initial uh diet complete diet replacement phase um and if they wanted to do it for a little bit longer so if they if they felt that they could still continue it with with it a bit longer um they were allowed to so they were given um permission to to, to continue that for a few more uh months so up to five months and then after that we had a food reintroduction phase that lasted two to eight weeks um, and that was just basically allowing people to start introducing healthier food options into their lifestyle. Um, and that was all done with the help of dietitians, but through the, again, through the, the primary care practice. Um, so the primary care clinics. Um, so it wasn't overly um, uh, cost uh, costly on resources. It was very, very easy to do. And then after that, we had the weight maintenance phase, which continued for you know up to 12 months and then up to 24 months. And people were given um, access to visit a dietitian, I think, once a month 
or something like that. Not everybody used that uh, completely, but it was just to help people with sticking to their diet, just being in contact with somebody. Um, and again, very, very easy on resources, not difficult to do. And most people managed to maintain their weight loss. Now, there was weight regain in the maintenance phases, but it was it was small. And it found that the people who maintained their weight loss um, were able to maintain their remission. And I think another thing that's really important is at the end of the, the study, like, uh, what was really cool at the end of the first 12 months is basically, I, I th- I'm just trying to think of the, the numbers off the top of my head. But uh, the individuals which numbers who, who lost need? the most weight, I, I'm just think, thinking of the weights. I think as th- those individuals that lost the most weight, um, they had the, the greatest success when it came to going into remission. Oh, yeah. Um, I think yeah, it was yeah. close to 80%. So I think 15 people who lost 15 kilograms of, or more, I think it was close to 80% of them went yeah. into remission. More and than uh, more than enormous. 15 kilos, uh, 86%. Yeah, I, uh, I have the study. Yeah, there we go. And, okay, well, actually, there we go. I actually remember the figure. Yeah, <laughs> nice, nice. Good memory, um, good memory. <laughs> uh, no, no, that never happens. That's a, that's a one-off. Um, <laughs> hey, it's a start. So yeah, those who lost the most... Those who lost the most weight, they um, they had the the most uh, the the best chance of going into remission, um, and if they were able to maintain that weight, and I think even um, at the end of the twenty four months, um, I I'm going to say that like about eleven uh, percent of the the entire intervention population had still maintained weight loss of of more than fifteen kilos, and that is very very impressive. You know, it's not everybody, obviously, um, but those who maintain that weight loss managed to uh, to stay in remission. So technically, like, you know, if you looked at their blood work, they didn't have diabetes. Now, there's there's probably I, I think it's really, really important to say at this point that it's it's remission from diabetes and it's not a cure. Yeah, because, you know, I think it, it's quite likely that if those individuals regained weight, that their symptoms of diabetes would would resurface. Um, and they would be technically considered as having diabetes again. Um, but, but again, to get somebody uh, into remission, it's... Go yeah, please go on, finish your idea. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's like getting somebody into remission, getting somebody off of medication, that's as good as a cure, you know, um, almost. Yeah, uh, what I wanted to say, like a uh, completion uh, to your words, is that uh, it's very important to think of this as a dietary intervention, for the first uh, couple of months and for the maintenance phase and for the future, we should uh, consider it uh, more of a lifestyle, in my opinion. No, absolutely. And I think that's the important thing. So a lot of people, what a a reason a lot of people were against the the UK government's plans to use these uh, very low calorie diets um, was because they were saying it's not going to be sustainable. And the whole point of the the direct study was to see if it could be sustainable and it has been shown to be sustainable in um quite a few individuals like so like if you think of it of the entire population after 24 months 35 percent were in remission okay so like you'd say that's a third of people that is a lot of people if you think of the amount of people in in the uk and i don't i don't know the numbers off the top of my head but if you can get a third of those people into remission after two years, that's fantastic. And obviously they're going to do a a three-year follow-up as well to see if that's working for people. And this was just with a very, very easy, very, very basic dietary intervention that did teach people how to maintain it afterwards. Like, so people weren't just given the diets, you know, the the, the shakes. Okay, 
Yeah, they, they weren't just given it. Yeah, exactly. And just told, okay, that's it. At the end of it, you're done. Best of luck. They were given guidance as to how to maintain healthier eating habits afterwards. And and a lot of those individuals, they still did it. They maintained those healthy eating patterns and they maintained the remission. And we have to think of it like this. Like, you know, I'm, I, I work as a coach with people as well. And obviously, you know, I sustainability is is very, very important for me. And being able to incorporate um, dietary changes and exercise changes into somebody's lifestyle so that they can maintain it for the rest of their life is really, really important. And I'm completely aware that a shake diet is not going to be sustainable. But if you can use a shake diet to improve somebody's health and use it for a short period of time, like three or five months, whatever, and then you can start incorporating those long-term changes into their lifestyle, be it diet or exercise or you know, preferably both, that is a, a major win for individuals who, like especially in this case, who have a, a chronic condition that is affecting the quality of their life. Um, and you can just say, okay, yeah, if you, if you can say at the start, like, okay, this is going to be, you know, relatively tough for the first three or five months. But, you know, here's another thing um, with these shake diets. People say, like, how can you stick to a shake diet for, for six months? Well, if somebody tells you, okay, you don't eat food anymore, you just eat these shakes, that's, that makes it a little bit easy because you've taken food decision away from people. Yeah. You don't need to yeah. think about, okay, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to cook today? There's no food prep involved. It's just like, mixed with water and you're you're ready to go um so that's that makes it a little bit easier to stick to um and and that's something people need to consider as well but it's never intended to be a long-term solution the long-term solution is the the kind of the the maintenance phase and the dietary advice that they get afterwards to help maintain their weight loss um so i think that's really really important to talk about as well and i also think that uh, most people who kind of look bad at the study didn't actually understand the the main part of the study wasn't that they were given shakes, the, but they were given guidance and they wanted for uh, the, uh, the participants to maintain their weight. For example, in my opinion, someone that is seeing results faster because of that diet with shakes might also be more motivated in maintaining that weight than someone who is losing weight very slowly and maybe... Uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. It has much ups and downs, and uh, doesn't it accordingly to the the plan? Maybe these people who see the uh, faster results adhere more to the dietary lifestyle on the long term. So I think this study. No, very true. Yeah. I, I think this study is actually uh, excellent in this uh, design. With people explaining, with explaining to people what maintaining means and achieving a very uh, fast, if I may say, uh, result. Also, uh, if we we also talked about the study, and I really loved our uh, explaining. What do you feel about uh, ending our sh- little talk today with some uh, uh, numbers from the outcomes? And uh, to, to, to sense that, uh, to conclude that uh, the study actually impacted their weight, their uh, HbA1c, and their uh, uh, fasting glucose and other parameters. Well, what do you feel uh, there are the ma- that are the main parameters we should look at? Well, I, I think we should, if we look at weight loss, okay, um, Let's okay, see. You, you, name, you can name the parameter and I will search it and tell you the value. 
I've got I've got a few of them here as well. So like in in the intervention group, uh, those who managed to get I think thirty four percent of the participants managed to get weight loss of zero to five kilos. Um, I think fifty seven. Uh, no, sorry, I, I wanted to say in in the individuals who lost weight, those who lost zero to five percent, a third of them, so thirty four percent, achieved remission. And when we're talking about remission. We're talking about, again, that HbA1c of um, uh, below 6.5%. So in the, the 0 to 5 kilogram weight group, that was a third. In the, those who lost about 5 to 10 kilos, um, I think it was, um, uh, oh no, I'm, I've got these wrongs. It was 7% in the 0 to 5 kilograms. In the 5 to 10, it was a third. 34. Um, in, yeah, uh, so it's 34%. And then it was 57% in the people who got uh, 10 to 15. And then in those who lost more than 15 kilos, we're talking about 86%. So that's the number that I mentioned earlier. So like, again, 15 kilos is a considerable amount of weight. And we know that losing that amount of weight is not easy. But for those individuals who did manage to lose that amount of weight, 86% went into remission. And that's That's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, that that is uh, like and and those like I I can imagine you know this is purely speculation on my part but like you know I can imagine if 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 I was an individual who had diabetes and I was told you're going to be on this medication for the rest of your life and you know your diabetes is going to progress and it is quite likely that at some point you are going to need to go on to insulin which is the the case with with diabetes it it is a progressive condition if unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately. And if but if I was told that and suddenly I went on this diet and I lost a load of weight and I was gone into remission and my doctor told me because you've lost all of this weight, you do not need to take any medication again. You just need to maintain a healthier lifestyle. That would be an incredible motivator for me yeah. personally. Okay, I'm yeah. not going to speak for other people and and I can't. But, you know, I I think for some of these individuals, the fact that they were able to to change their prognosis would have been a huge motivator for some of them. Also, I think a, a huge outcome, also as a personal speculation, would be a decreased percentage of depression and anxiety between people with diabetes and uh, obesity. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And, and that, that's related, obviously, because they did measure, and I think this was very, very good on this study, is they measured quality of life. Um, and that was one of the, the, um, the, the parts of that investigation was looking at rates of depression and anxiety. And I think you know, that says a lot as well, because, you know, you're, you're, you're providing people with this, um, this dietary intervention that, you know, a lot of people are going to say, oh, God, if you can't eat food, you're going to be more depressed. But if suddenly people are, they've, you know, lost a load of weight, they're no longer taking medication. Overall, those people were feeling a lot better. And, and we have the results to prove that too. Yeah. As I see here, at the, in the intervention group, the baseline mean value of the quality of life was uh, measured using Eurocool five dimensions visual analog scale and it improved after 12 months with 7.2 points and in the control group it uh, actually decreased with uh, minus three or more. Yeah. Yeah. Also, if we are still on this table, I would like to state the uh, minus 10 kilos mean in the intervention group. They lost minus 10 kilos the mean value it also the mean value uh, of uh, hba1c in percentages uh, decreased with almost one percent 
which can which this one percent as as a personal opinion can make the difference between a diabetes diagnosis or a pre-diabetes diagnosis exactly which pre-diabetes can be very well uh, prevented exactly and, and so, it's yeah, really good to point out as well that you know obviously that those are the averages and that there were some individuals who had less and there were some individuals that had more as well um and those ones of that course had, had more obviously had you know a lot of them had the greater levels of weight loss of course and as a final note regarding weight loss because as we stated in our talk weight loss was the main factor that that brought all these benefits um in the intervention group 24 percent of the people managed to achieve more than 15 kilograms of weight loss and in the control group there were zero percent and also the remission percentages comparing the both groups are 4% in the control group and 46% in the intervention group. I think this this leaves us with a very uh, optimistic way of thinking of future studies. If we can impact half of the people on worldwide who have diabetes and make make them make five uh, 50% of them uh, turn into remission, I think this would be a great and a huge win for any medical system worldwide. And uh, I see how uh, a diabetic patient can consume a lot of resources during my clinical rotations. And usually they, they are very uh, sad, they're very depressed. And in this way, um, the quality of life worldwide will improve. Again, this is my personal opinion. And uh, I would like to hear yours also as a conclusion to our talk. No, I, I completely agree. So this, this type of diet and this type of intervention, this strategy, it has a lot of potential. Um, obviously, this was a you know a scientific intervention. Uh, it was it wasn't you know uh, kind of rolled out as standard care. But now the UK government is going to roll this out um, in the coming months, and we're going to see how effective it can be. We don't know what it's going to be like. You know, in I'm going to say in inverted commas in the wild. You know, when we when we roll this out um, in the UK. But like I'm. I'm hopeful, I'm quite optimistic that it has the potential to really, really reduce the, the strain that diabetes is putting on people's lives, on people's mental health, on people's quality of life. And on, you know, like if, if, if I have to talk about it, I have to mention it, it's going to reduce some of the financial strain on the, the health system as well. Um, and I think people, we have to give it that chance. I think the initial reaction in the UK to the proposal to use these diets was it, it, it was a little bit too reactionary. Um, and I just think, you know, obviously people have very, very strong views about certain types of diets and I completely understand that. But I think it's really, really important before we react to information like that, that we understand what's going on. And that's why it's really, really important to kind of understand the science behind this. And, you know, if you don't understand the science, you know, it's, it's worth looking into it. Um, because, um, yeah, I just, I feel a, a lot of my colleagues, um, in the fitness industry specifically may have kind of reacted too soon. And I think that there's a lot of potential for this program to, to help people. And I, I genuinely hope it, it does work. I totally agree. And if somebody wants to know the science, they can always listen to our podcast here and our talk where we explained this, this great study. It was an honor for me to have you as a guest again, Richie. Thank you again for accepting my invitation so soon. It's always a pleasure to talk well, to you. you have, thank you for having me. It's a, always a pleasure to chat with you, Vlad.
this brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, we are uh, planning on releasing more uh, episodes in the future, so stay tuned.